the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation. The true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination, and His eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Thank you for joining me today with Season Watch. This is Wendy Scott. And, of course, we want to just start again with prayer. Um, Lord, we just continue to pray for all the crazy things going on in the world. For us personally, Lord, we have so many um, challenges in our lives. And we just pray that we surrender them to you, that by your Holy Spirit, you anoint us to walk in this land. I think Satan's uh, trying to take us down a notch uh, everywhere we turn. And yet, Lord... Our eyes are on you. Help us to focus on you. Help us to pray for others and build each other up, encourage each other. Help us to walk in peace, the peace of the gospel, Lord, and to spread the word of your kingdom. We want more people to come to you. We know you're coming soon, Lord. Just help us in this time to persevere. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends. Well, the world continues to be on fire concerning the little nation of Israel. Who'd have thought? Uh, I guess God did because he wrote about it. And then the U.S. can't even fully support her right to eliminate uh, the very group that has taken an oath to destroy Israel. And so we hope the U.S. gets fully on her side, but they want to micromanage. And there's no reason for that. They're a sovereign nation. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, They're very careful in prosecuting this war. And so it's uh, it's what the, the Gazans have raised their children to do, to hate Israel. It's just uh, propaganda. And uh, I suppose that their hearts can be turned around. God can do anything. We pray for Gaza that, um, that they see the things happening and they see that, uh, that these things are dark and that they turn to the Lord. I know that there are some Christians in Gaza, too. We pray for them, that they, the, the word spreads and that more turn to you. But in the meantime, Israel's being very careful, and these people have vowed to wipe them off the map. And it's not a secret. This is why no other nation, no other Arab nation particularly, will even take the refugees from Gaza. And so we pray for Israel to prosecute the war, to do it uh, righteously, and to rescue the hostages. And we need to let them do it, uh, just like we would expect any other nation not to interfere in the things we've done. And we've done it before. This is what we do. We've gone into other nations. We've hunted down ISIS because they're they're cruel and uh the, the cruelties, the horrendous cruelties that people, pro- if they do these things to other countries, to other people, oppress people in such a cruel way, uh, they need to be challenged. We can't let that go. And so we want to let Israel do that. The world's watching. They're being very careful, but we want them to eliminate this threat to their very existence. Um, and the West continues to believe lies. That's why the world's on fire right now, debating all these things. And every weekend we're seeing this. And thank God we're seeing more nations and people stand up for Israel, which is is the way. Let's let the marketplace of ideas uh, get out there and let the best ideas win. And so we must speak about these things because when we have the truth, 
uh, people with the right heart will hear it. They just need to hear it. And when all they hear is a propaganda of lies, anti-Israel lies, uh, which the whole world propagates, um, when they hear that, it's confusion. We need to tell the truth. And um, so we seem to have no memory of the former things. We just consume social media instead of history. And so, friends, today, fasten your truth belts as we discuss Israel. We are for peace, but they are for war. And that's a quote we'll see. Last week, we thoroughly discussed so many promises that God made to bring Israel back into their own land. He has a purpose in this, as we can see a pattern in God's prophetic plan. If we notice the first 2,000 years since uh, from Adam to Abraham, people were free to follow God on an individual basis. But then the next 2,000 years from Adam to Jesus, God created Israel to represent him as a nation to the world, to deliver the Bible to the world and the promises and the prophecies about the salvation to the whole world and to bring them through his Messiah. Messiah through the group, the the nation of Israel. And so the last 2,000 years from Jesus until now has been the times of the Gentiles, as God caused Israel to largely reject Yeshua, although there were many who believe all the first, the first church were all Christians, of course. And uh, so he scattered Israel and the believers throughout the Roman world when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. And so the whole world has been hearing uh, the past 2,000 years uh, through the church and hearing about salvation through Jesus, Yeshua. And now the times of the Gentiles in the church age are winding down just as Jesus prophesied. And so prophecies reveal that this is where Daniel's 70th week will soon begin, and God's focus will return to judging the world through Israel. And that means Jesus is coming soon. Yahoo! <laughs> and uh, there will be a seven-year tribulation. That's why we have to tell people about Jesus, about the coming plans. We need to show them that these prophecies are happening right before their very eyes. And the prophecies um, testify to the truth of the Bible. It's irrefutable if you just stop and look at it and share it. The word will not return void. It will accomplish its purpose and God, that God intends. We must share the word. We must share the truth. We must not shy away when people don't want to hear it, then just keep going. Somebody will. It's, it's God who draws them to the truth, and we have to just keep putting it out there and trust him to plant the seeds in the hearts and change hearts. We must be faithful. And so the tribulation is coming, and before the tribulation, many Jews are going to turn to the Lord. They're doing it now, and they're planting seeds, and they're spreading the word, even now under the distress of um, of this war, that uh, Israel's feeling attacked and not supported by the nations. They've come together, they, and they're starting to turn to the Lord, the God of their fathers. And through this, many hearts are opening to hearing about Yeshua, the Savior that walked the very lands that they are in, that walked through the very ancient cities that uh, have these stories about Jesus, and the, to draw them to him, and many are turning to him. And we just have to continue to pray that those seeds are planted because that's God's plan for Israel. After the 2,000 years of the church, he returns his focus back to them because he is faithful. And we know that also during the tribulation, many Jews will come to faith in their Messiah. There's 144,000 faithful Jews that will realize as soon as the rapture happens, they will realize Jesus was the Messiah, and they will faithfully go out and evangelize the world. And so there are many other evidence that Israel is the focus. He's not leaving the scraps out there. He's, he's, He's drawn the whole world to him. The whole world has had an opportunity to receive Jesus now. There is no more famous name on the planet than Jesus in his many forms. And so the whole world's heard about him. And now he turns back to Israel and the rejecting uh, the, the Jesus, the salvation, um, the Messiah rejecting world, which is most of the world, 
will attack Israel, and God uses Israel to judge the world. And so Israel must be a nation again to fulfill all the prophecies that God has aligned. We see in Ezekiel 37, 21 through 22, Then say to them, says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, and the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations. They shall uh, ever be divided again into two kingdoms. And so God did that. That's one nation. And now we know part of this will also uh, happen in um, the millennial kingdom. And so the, the promises blend together, but we see God has not abandoned Israel. And we see Israel must be back in the land to fulfill all the later prophecies. Jesus prophesied these things about the last days when the Antichrist would rise up and declare himself God, according to Daniel's prophecies. And this has to happen in the rebuilt temple. And we know that plans are being made right now. Something dramatic has to happen in order for the world to permit Israel to build that temple again on the Temple Mount. It's probably the Ezekiel 38 war when God comes to the rescue of Israel over the attacking nations. And we've talked about how those are aligning now. And the result of that is probably when the rapture will happen and the Antichrist will arise to give a covenant of peace that Daniel talked about. The covenant will last seven years. And in the midst of the seven years is when the uh, Antichrist will go in. We see according to what Paul says and what Daniel says, and here according to what Jesus says, that in the end days— that the Antichrist will go into the temple and declare himself God. And that's when um, a residual of the Jews will finally realize that Jesus was their Messiah. And so we see um, that that Jesus prophesied this in Matthew 24, 14. Um, we see this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, Whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Verse 21. Then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And the elect we come to understand are those who came to faith during the tribulation, right? Because we're going to get raptured, but we're going to leave those seeds. We've got the 144,000. Lots of people are going to go, oh my gosh, those crazy Christians were right. And they will have to be faithful until the end. And so it's absolutely clear, unavoidably so, that Christians must recognize that Israel is back in the land according to God's will. And so today we're going to review the history that immediately led up to the world finally allowing Israel to return to their promised land after 2,000 years of exile. That's that's pretty big punishment. And so today... Um, we'll take a look at these things. Um, we begin with the end of World War One. We're going to jump forward there because we've covered some of the earlier history already. Um, at the end of World War One, the Ottoman Empire, which was Muslim rule, signed an armistice and it soon collapsed. And when it collapsed, modern Turkey resulted. And the other Middle East territories under the Ottoman Empire came under the authority of primarily the French and the British. That was part of the armistice at the end of World War One, And so both oversaw the partitioning of these Middle East territories into the modern countries we have today and their current boundaries. A lot of people have disputes about whether they did a good job or not. That's understandable. But we're looking at they were the ones that were given the responsibility of uh, of reforming these old countries. And so out of these were born the modern Iraq, Qatar, Yemen, Syria, Transjordan, or Jordan as it is today, and Lebanon. And while the territories 
uh, other territories were returned to Saudi Arabia. And so the goal was to take these countries out of the empire that had ruled over them and changed hands so many times and establish independent countries again based on traditional territories and their populations. Whether or not these plans were all together right is for another discussion. And so among those territories that came under the British mandate to recreate old nations in 1920 um, was the area that ended up becoming Iraq, Transjordan or Jordan, Qatar, and Palestine. These came under the British mandate in 1920. And so in 1920, the territory set aside as Palestine actually included all the traditional borders of Israel, which follows the Jordan River. We'll find that later those were taken away. And so, however, unlike today, Palestine was widely understood to mean Israel, as there are no Palestinian people. Many Arabs had migrated Palestine under the various empires, but the land was overall remote and largely a mix of Jews and Arabs and even some other nations, uh, um, ethnicities. But no state or government of Palestinian people was ever established because it's a term that always referred to traditional Israel. This is why in 1917, as World War I continued, the British government wrote the Balfour Declaration, expressing the intent to aid in the reestablishment of the state of Israel. And here's what the Balfour Declaration read, and it's actually largely why the, the British government was given the mandate over the territory. In 1917, they wrote, His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. So they made a declaration kind of pledging to help the Jewish people establish their homelands because they'd always been persecuted. This was recognized. And the British government thought that that's something they needed. And they anticipated that they might, in, in, if they won the war, that they might have that opportunity to help establish a national homeland. So this declaration reveals the long understood fact that the ancient land of Israel rests in the territory that had been renamed Syria Palestina under Roman rule. The name did not alter the widely understood history of the land as ancient Jewish Jewish territory with all its ancient place names and biblical names. What is also understood is that Palestine is not an Arabic name. And in fact, whenever the land came under Muslim rule over a series of caliphates, all the places were actually given Arabic names. It was never called Palestine because that's not a Palestinian, that's not an Arabic name. And so they never called it Palestine. Every document from ancient history into the mid-1900s that refers to the territory recognizes it to be the ancient Jewish homeland. There has never been any dispute. However, Muslim tradition requires that once it is conquered territory, it is theirs forever. Thus, these claims that they continue to make. And so Jerusalem was first conquered in the Arabic wars with the Byzantine Empire in 637. The territory went back and forth after that. However, it was the history of Israel and the significance of Jerusalem as God's eternal city of peace, ironically, that brought these conquests to the land. It was actually a spiritual or religious war from the beginning. Wars fought over the ancient land of Israel and the power to declare whose God was God, especially when we look at the Crusades between uh, the Jews and the Arabs and uh, the Muslims particularly and, of course, uh, Catholic history. And so yet, in spite of these tumultuous wranglings over Israel, the history as a Jewish nation was always the foundation. It's the history of what God did in that most sacred real estate of the world, That is why the whole world fights over this 22,000 square miles of nothing. 
and the fighting over it is absurd, except in the light of God's hand on the Jewish people, the land, and especially the very act of salvation he performed there for the whole world that fulfilled his promise in this very land. And so after the Jews were sent into captivity 2,000 years ago and the city was ravished and the temple destroyed, nothing was there that anyone really wanted except to conquer and to control it. Even Mark Twain remarked on the desolation of the land in 1867 after visiting what has always been called the Holy Land. Here are some excerpts from his 1969 book based on those visits and others called Innocence Abroad. And he remarks on the vacant wasteland of, quote, Palestine at that time, noting all the traditional Bible names of the places that he visited. So here's some of the quotes. Uh, One quote, throughout the valley, there is not a solitary village throughout the whole extent, not for 30 miles in either direction. There are two or three small clusters of Bedouin tents, but not a single permanent habitation. One may ride 10 miles thereabouts and not see 10 human beings. So that was a valley. I believe it was the Jezreel Valley he's remarking on. Here's another one. These unpeopled deserts, these rusty mounds of barrenness, the melancholy ruin of Capernaum, that stupid village of Tiberias slumbering under its six funeral plumes of palms. So he's remarking how empty and desolate it is. Here's another one. It was hard to realize that this silent plain had once trembled to the tramp of armed men. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. They couldn't even imagine activity there. It was so desolate in 1867. And so we reached Tabor safely. We never saw a human being on the whole route. That's how desolate it was. Here's another one. Nazareth is forlorn. Jericho, the accursed, lies in a molding ruin today, even as Joshua's miracle left it more than 3,000 years ago. Bethlehem and Bethany in their poverty and their humiliation have nothing about them now to remind one that they once knew high honor. Renowned Jerusalem itself, the stateliest name in history, has lost all its ancient grandeur and has become a pauper village. The riches of Solomon are no longer there to compel the admiration of visiting oriental queens. The wonderful temple, which was the pride and glory of Israel, is gone. It seems to me that all the, tr- all the races and colors and tongues of the earth must be represented among the 14,000 souls that dwell in Jerusalem. Rags, wretchedness, poverty, and dirt abound. Finally, he summarized, of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine would be the prince. The hills are barren, the valleys are unsightly deserts, fringed with feeble vegetation that has an expression about it of being sorrowful and despondent. The Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee sleep in the midst of a vast stretch wherein the eyes rest upon no pleasant tint. It is hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes, desolate and unlovely. And so we see this description in in 1867, long before, not that long before the partitioning, describes a land forsaken, desolate, and left in ruin that nobody really wanted. And so why was it this way? It's this way because God had promised to bring his people back into the land. He kept it in reserve. And so he allowed it to be unlovely until the time of his people to return. And we see in Leviticus 26, starting in verse 14, the prophecy of that. But if you do not obey me and do not observe all my commandments, and if you despise my statutes or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, verse 17, I will set my face against you and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you. You shall flee when no one pursues you. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. 
I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. I will not let the smell or fragrance of your sweet aromas arise. I will bring the land to desolation and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land, the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbath. Verse 38, you shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Verse 40, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and they also have walked contrary to me. Verse 42, then... I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by then and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord your God. And so as we studied last week, God promised to bring them back into the land for his own glory and to fulfill his promises. That's why he let it lay waste so no one would want it. We saw in Jeremiah 4, uh, verse 27, for thus is the Lord God, the whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end. Isaiah eleven eleven. it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time, right? The second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt from Pathros Cush, from Elam Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the seas. Isaiah 61, 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the plantings of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah 61, 4, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Ezekiel 28, 25, thus says the Lord, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and am hollowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles, then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses, plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely when I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God. And so this is why he did it. And this is what was happening. And so after World War I, it came time for the British to divide this miserable, desolate, ruined land that hardly anybody lived on. You can tell by what uh, Mark Twain described about it. And so this was the land that had been mandated to them for the very task of establishing not only the other nations, but the nation of, for the Jews again. But instead of keeping their 1917 pledge for the establishment of Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people, to quote the Balfour Declaration, and quote, to use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object, instead, the British broke their word. Why? Because by then the Arabs were starting to discover oil in their lands, and Arabs don't want a Jewish state. The British wanted to please them to have access to oil, and so they did not partition the land intended for the reestablishment of the Jewish state, although all the other Arab populations were partitioned their own traditional and independent nations under the same mandate. You see, they got what they wanted at the same time. It was all supposed to be done at once. The British simply did not keep their word when it was their duty to perform it concerning the Jewish people and their national homeland. When the partitioning could easily be negotiated since each Arab population was receiving their own independent nation, 
Instead, it took World War II when the Nazis swallowed up Europe and inflamed anti-Semitism through propaganda and even required hatred, betrayal, and murder of the Jews in every nation they engulfed, when once again there was no safety and no advocates standing for the Jews. Why? Because everyone knew they didn't belong. Everyone knew they originated from another ancient nation and existed as an ethnically and culturally distinct people among them although they had lived throughout Europe for 2,000 years. They were never accepted. And once again, the nations wanted to expel them or exterminate them. So six million Jews later, when the toxin of anti-Jewish hate could not be extracted from all of Europe, it was there. It was going to persist. Then, then Jews were finally permitted to have their ancient homeland back. And under the international agreement in 1947 by a UN resolution, Resolution 181, Israel should have their own state in Palestine. They agreed. Only then, pressure from Arab nations so despised Israel, they didn't even want it. Um, Oh, and the UN had to shrink the partition land even more to please the Arabs that surrounded them that did not want a Jewish state. And so they shrank the original territory from 1920 that had been basically the original footprint to split in two so that the Arabs could have some of that little tiny splice for themselves. And in fact, the UN offered half the original territory that had been set aside in Palestine for Israel. They offered half of it for the Arabs to create their own state. It wasn't called Palestine because they weren't Palestinians until much later. (laughs) However, they rejected the offer and said they will never accept a Jewish state in former Muslim territory. And so there you have it. Even that little bit of territory, half of what should have been given to the Israel, half of that they wouldn't even accept. They wouldn't even let them have that because they did not want a Jewish state. They don't want a two-state solution even today. They're not asking for it. It's the Western nations asking for it. They have turned down every offer. And that's why instead of accepting the UN partition, which split the Palestine territory, Arabs rejected it. And on May 14, 1948, by permission of the UN resolution, Israel declared itself a sovereign state. The Jewish people finally had their home back after 2,000 years, just as Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah 66 explained that, can a nation be born in a day? And we find that, yes, absolutely, a nation was born in a day. And that's why we must respect God's plan. And until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.